These questions derive from one of our readings, and mm -hmm. the chapter is called Meeting in the Middle. So it's talking about middle-level administrators and how you have a lot of different kind of audiences that pull from your responsibilities like within your job. Like you mm -hmm. not only only have like the audience of the future people that you supervise, but also the people that you are actually working for and that kind of have to come to you for gotcha. advice. So, so it's about my current position. Right. Okay. Exactly, and how you relate to kind of us as constituents, like the ACs, and then all the other people that you're working for that are maybe higher up in the administration than you are. So I thought it was interesting, especially where you've kind of come into the position recently, mm -hmm. like you've been a transfer from associate or from assistant to associate. So I thought that I would kind of preface some of the questions that derive specifically from the text with those to see kind of how that transition sure. happened and that sort of thing. Sure. Okay. So my first question was when you were going into the position or like assistant, mm -hmm. what type of research or like observations did you go through to start like learning about the new responsibilities and what you would be called on to do? Um, in terms of supervision, I this was my first job um, supervising full-time staff. So that, the, the, the idea of being a supervisor and motivating people and keeping them on task and doing evaluations, that I was already comfortable with and I was already familiar with, but it was changing gears from students, staff, and adults. And that's a big shift. Um, I don't know that I did a lot of formal research so much as just um, talking to people around me who had experience supervising others, people primarily within my office, but mm -hmm. Um, also just outside of higher administration in general. Okay. Um, and just talking about what they liked, what they didn't like about it, to make sure there was a move that I wanted to take on. Um, and then also getting to know tips and tricks and, and the, you know, the resounding bit of it, or the, the, the thing that people kept telling me is that it was going to be very difficult supervising people that I had been colleagues with. Um, but I felt as though I had a professional enough with all of that people, to get all of those people involved to get past that. Okay. Um, and I didn't do much formal stuff. It was just okay. talking to people who were more comfortable with it. Okay. What are some of the examples then of the people who are not affiliated with higher ed that you talked with? Um, that's something we have talked about a lot. Is like kind of getting some ideas mm -hmm. or like comparison and contrast to other industries, whether like it could be like corporate settings or anything like that. Yeah. I spoke with my um, my mom. Um, she was super. We were super talented businesses, and she supervises a small staff, but she has people who work for her. Um, I also um, talked a lot, obviously, with my husband and his colleagues. Um, at the time, I was making my transition technically to in the um, administrative position. So he liked would have a lot. He had a lot of connections, and I mean, it was just casual conversation. Okay. It wasn't necessarily a, a more cutting of a phone call where I was okay. going to, you know, go through a list of questions, but just trying to get what they liked, what they didn't like. Alright. So, was there any training provided here that kind of helped you transition from the SEC into this, this position? No, I think I still transition, and while I, I there, there was, I did attend supervisor training um, for HR. They still okay. had several sessions, and I attended that. I also had 
which is very similar to the impacts of traffic noise and noise generally. Um, but then they have a certificate for supervisors that they encourage everyone to get. And so I completed that, um, but I, I um, really, you know, it's been a really great mentor and resource. Um, he's by far given me the most advice, and he's also pushed me to, to make decisions and have conversations that maybe no one had before, or, or yeah, were new, um, but he's been a really good mentor and, and um, yeah. And I'll note for the audio recording, Stephen May is the executive director of admissions and recruitment, just so everybody's aware, not an immediate supervisor of yeah. us. Excellent, so then that was kind of coming into the, the, your initial expectation as assistant director. So did you notice any shifts in the responsibilities like leading up to the transition from assistant to interim associate, was that something that you like recognized that you were almost taking on more responsibilities than I was and originally understood? Like, how did that transition occur? It was um, an ongoing discussion before it actually happened on weekly. There was a lot of discussion between Stephen and I um, about my role, about what I had anticipated, and what the actual role became. Okay. Um, you know, because. Initially, I don't know how much of this detail that you already know of, but initially, I mean, prior to any of these jobs being posted, we had a director of admissions and we had an associate director. Um, the previous associate director was extremely busy. Mm -hmm. um, and quite honestly, if they had posted that position as it was with the director and associate director, having to come off maternity leave and, you know, two kids at home, I don't know that... I don't know that I would have been as eager to apply. Okay. Um, and so the way it was defined when I applied was that that role would be split into two associates. And I was like, you know, initially I'm like, well, that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I could take that on. That could be the next step. Um, but then that second search was, was stale. Um, you reposted at the associate level, so there would be an assistant associate. That search was stale. And then the director left. And so where there should have been a director and two associates, that was the model I was signing up for, <laughs> it just became me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so at that point, I had naturally taken on a lot of roles that I had not initially, um, not, not that I had wasn't open to them, but I just had not initially planned for it. It wasn't in my original PIQ. And so the title change, I think, was the result of that. Okay. Um, the, the work was there, my responsibilities had already changed, and Stephen also, because there was an director and associate, I felt that he, he thought it was appropriate for me to have that higher title since I was um, the, the primary leader um, in my current account. Okay. Um, so what do you think, like coming into these more leadership um, responsibilities, would you say are some of the most important like characteristics that you've had to put forth to be successful? actually been, um, I, I don't know that I would call myself a quiet person or a reserved person, but I've had to consciously make an effort to be more proactive with the communications that I have with my staff and with those discussions. Um, because I have, you know, ongoing informal checkpoints with, with just about everyone, but to have, um, you know, formal monthly meetings and 
professions and, and to substate not just in a casual way, but also balance that with the, the professional conversations that need to be happening as well. Um, that has been something that, that I've had to kind of adjust to. Um, but I think, I think more than anything, it's just been communication. It's, it's um, I mean, you, you get a lot more information as you continue to kind of fill out a, from both the top and the bottom. <laughs> you know, you're getting a, a lot more that people are coming to you and, and they expect you to deal with it. Whereas in, in previous positions, I would be able to pass it off to my supervisor, yes. whoever the next person is. And now that that chain doesn't quite exist, times I am the endpoint. Right. Um, so it's a lot of problem solving, um, a lot of just kind of figuring out how to put out whatever fire has Um, then when you talk about like kind of the communication the top end and the bottom end, mm -hmm. like who would you consider is like your internal audience then? Like the bottom end of that? Like would you just consider all the admissions counselors or would you expand out even further? I would probably expand further because okay. it's not it's not just the admissions process. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the people that I'm working with are my peers, but like on the processing side, I'm, oh, okay. I'm dealing with a lot more relationship building with behind with, the scenes. With people who are not necessarily my direct reports, but because I am now the head of the recruitment side, mm -hmm. whether it's the processing admissions folks, college reps, um, financially and scholarships, like there are just a lot of other internal constituent groups that I'm their contact. If they need to send me information, if they need reports, if they need a direct question, um, then, then they and I'm their primary contact for personal for wise. And then what about, um, like on the flip side, the external constituents? Mm -hmm. Who would they see? Surprisingly, students and parents are not as prominent to me as, as an external constituent. Um, external constituents, I get to deal with the students, parents, and counselors who have problems. Yeah. I don't get to deal with those that, that are in, in a good shape. Yeah. yeah, I get to deal with the ones that have issues that no one else can resolve. Um, I'm also dealing a lot more with um, vendors okay. in the sense of um, ordering equipment that the office needs or talking to people who have products that they want us to use, like an image product, you know what I mean, like soft so other software, um, marketing agencies, you know, we have a lot of vendors who want to sell us stuff and I get to listen to all of their pitches. Um, and then when we have a need, it's finding the right vendor for that particular need. You can come in and go. Yeah, if you need to. Come on in. We're doing some of this equipment in-house. Okay, so especially when we have like an academic versus administrative like needs that come up. Thank you, Douglas. How do you like balance those needs and wants and opinions when you have like conflicting? Yeah, start. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> when you're coming in, like you have constituents on both sides of the table, like uh -huh. for the parties we just discussed. How do you balance like the needs and the wants and opinions of those people, especially when they're conflicting? 
when you have one side of the table wanting one thing versus another. I don't know why, but that question makes me think of my grandma like when my kids want something and I like you know, I think I think person I mean every case is different and that's that's the thing is that you're gonna have to first identify the problem who the players are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the majority of the time I feel that it's my role to get issues or problems solved um, but protect my people. Um, you know, to make sure that I'm hearing them out, um, especially if whatever the complaint or issue is directly relates to them. I, I you know, as, as a supervisor, I feel like it is my task to be their advocate um, and to, to the best of my ability, support decisions that they've made. Um, but at the same time, you have to resolve issues and you have to be there to have you. Um, and if that's in conflict to a decision that might be made, I think it's, again, it's a matter of communicating to them and, and working with them and through them to, to resolve the conflict and, and kind of get it out of the way. But I really feel like when, when those issues arise where one person pushes against the other, as, as a supervisor, I don't want to play. Like, I, I think that, you know, I have a staff that I can advocate for, and if ever there was a situation in which a staff member was making decisions that I didn't necessarily agree with, I think my philosophy would be to get them on the same page before it goes to bigger issues, you know, before um, it becomes brought up the word philosophy and in addition to that could you outline some of the other examples of like your leadership style or philosophy then mm-hmm. um, you know I, I do I, I think that I'm an advocate and whether it's um, an external constituent or a, another internal constituent coming to me I really always try to um, I, I'm not gonna say everyone to the best especially if there's someone who has had reports coming So it's getting their side of the story first and foremost before I, I take any any steps or any further action at this point. I think that that's definitely a part of my philosophy is is listening to the whole story and trying to get uh, a better idea of what's going on um, between us and the decision. Um, but with that, I'm not afraid to make decisions. I think that um, uh, there, there's always I, I'm very comfortable um, defending my decisions because generally there is a thought behind them that's more than a 50 coin, you know, like there's, yeah. there's there's a thought process behind it. And so even if I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm defending a decision or being criticized for a decision, I'm always really comfortable having that discussion because it is coming from a logical, rational place. And if your logic dictates something else, then that's okay. We can talk about it. Um, but I think that I am decisive. I think that I am um, definitely an advocate. And I also think that um, someone could come to me and say, hey, Paige, I'm making decisions in my life, and I feel like um, 
So when like working in a teacher setting, it's mm-hmm. like we have you know in higher ed, differences are going to be inevitable. Whether mm-hmm. it's like the obvious like diversity or like demographics, psychographics, that sort of thing. How would you adapt to situations that involve diversity and maybe maximize those issues for progress as you move forward? And doesn't well, just have to be the obvious one over the other, but any kind of well, I, I'm thinking that with this question, quite honestly, are we talking about two internal groups, like an admissions counselor gets an admissions counselor? It could counselor? be that or any any really any setting like that. Yeah, but I would definitely think it, like in especially in this role, you would see it more often from an internal setting. I I'm not. I, I don't want to, and I try really hard not to experience it. I also try very hard let people, um, when it's not a critical issue that needs to be addressed immediately, excuse me, I don't mind being a sounding board, but at the same time, I, I think it's empowering to let people deal with some of their own problems and with some of their own issues. Even if it's two admissions counselors, you know, before I step in and say mediator and say mom, mm-hmm. I want them to try to work it out, you know? I, I am very in tune try to keep my finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening, but I don't really like to get involved unless it's becoming detrimental to the office or if it's becoming, you know, um, an issue for the others outside of our office. Um, But in that sense, I really think that, you know, you're working with adults and I assume that since I've hired professionals and trained professionals and I continue to have checkpoints with them as professionals, that left their own devices, they're going to operate in a professional manner. Um, and I have that trust with my staff, and yeah. I, I like to get in there and they'll carry it out. And that's not just working with, you know, um, counselors internally, but also their relationships with constituents externally, too. To a certain extent, you have to be a little bit more careful, but the same principles apply. Like, if they have, like, if I, if I receive a complaint um, regarding one of my staff, necessarily step in and clean it up. You know, I'm going to give them the opportunity to clean it up for themselves. And, and like I said, I, I do that not because I'm lazy and I don't want to deal with it. I mean, I just think it's more empowering and they'll learn more from it if they don't have a hovering boss, like a hovering parent, you know? like that. shows maturity, too, I, on I, your part. I think, I think people need, I think they have meet your expectations. of that, I think that they perform at a higher standard. Um, so fortunately, we haven't had many of these issues. We've had a few, um, but we haven't had too many. And because of the communication along the way, none of them have really blown up into something really big. And I think just allowing them 
and coaching them, but allowing them to clean up these things kind of on their own is, is um, I think that's, that's happening all the time. Great. Uh, what strategies do you use to stay positive in stressful situations, and how would they spin that to your detriment? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think you just have to see the, the funny side in some situations. Um, and, and there definitely are stressful situations that no one enjoys dealing with, um, but then there are also things that the staff doesn't see. You know, I, there, there are things that just come with the territory. They're, they're not fun. You know, um, the other day, I think Jeff Akinsey was, uh, had a call from his aunt who had already sent a letter of recommendation and some other information regarding him and Penelope that was applying. But now she wanted to have a personal conversation um, about why this particular student's GPA might not be up to par. And so she's like, what do I do? And I was like, well, listen, good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this, is, this is not fun. There is no solution. This is just good customer service. You sit there and you listen and go on. Oh, that's all I got for you. Um, but then there are also situations where um, I am working with a group or working with um, a, uh, um, sometimes it's my boss who, who, who has something that needs to get done. And it's something that, you know, I'm very careful what I delegate down. I think that my staff is completely um, capable of dealing with projects. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it's a certain issue reaches a point where it's no longer a project, it's a problem. And if that's the case, and if there's damage control, and it's a problem, and it's no longer something that they can take in an organized way and, and, and deal with, um, I don't like to delegate those. Um, so I think that, you know, there, like I said, there are certain, there, there are certain things with the job that them on, you know, give them a little pat on the back and cheer them on. Good job. And I, I'm going to cheerlead it, but then there are also certain things that I try to protect against them because it's not fair. And, and if you're talking about issues and problems and damage control, then um, that, they that they didn't create, but that had fallen on the shoulders of your boss, and I try to kind of take that burden um, so that it, it, so that the morale of the office does so they don't feel like they're, that you guys are just kind of dealing with nothing but problems all day. Um, so acting like that's okay and saying it's not fair. What would you say the, the most challenging part of your job is? Um, sometimes it's difficult not having a peer at my level um, that will act as a sounding board for me because um, there are obviously things that I don't want to complain about. Right. Try really hard not to complain about with staff because it's not appropriate. But then there are also things that I that on the other end, on the higher end, that I don't yeah, that I don't like. So so I think I think that that has actually been the biggest challenge is, is not having that other assistant or other associate mm -hmm. or other whoever at a similar level to just bounce ideas off of and because um, sometimes you are you're, you're making a decision and 
kind of feel like tortoise just got a little bit more with someone or got a story that you're just like you need to get off your chest but you're kind of alone in that pursuit so um that's been a challenge um because before in the other roles I had the entire staff you know I had everyone was my colleague no one was above I mean people were above but no one was really below and so that change has been difficult um have you reached out to anyone maybe not necessarily under the umbrella of admissions or recruitment I mean do you have anyone that you could say is a peer maybe just under a different classification of um, another part of the university or something that would be like you could maybe call a friend within it depends on what it's about yeah. um you know depending depending on the issue like i said and and it's unfortunate i i feel like i go to steven maybe more than i should for some of these issues mm-hmm. um and he doesn't talk to me so right much. um but i also yeah i'll go to like adele and emerson um, my husband fortunately also has three heads sometimes but i talk to him he has no idea what's going on but sometimes that's all you need is just to get it off your chest um but i don't know i i, I guess for me i i haven't actively sought someone to fulfill that because i do a pretty good job of leaving a good work um yeah. so it's not something that's keeping me up at night like right. you know like uh, it's not something that I'm having issues coping with where I'm trying to be proactive in the way that I deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a challenge, but at this point, it's not much of a deal. It's being Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then on a slightly more positive note, how would you, like, measure a win or measure success? Like, what would you call, like, that's a goal set? Like, you know, actually, this falls into the category of the previous question. Okay. Um, because that has been a challenge. Um, it, it, for me, you know, in, in previous jobs, you would be given tasks. Mm-hmm. And um, the task would have a start date, you work through all the details, it would have an end date, and you would be able to go back and evaluate it, whether it was, you know, the SEC and the calls that you were making, mm-hmm. or uh, AE events, or, or whatever, or Southern West Virginia, and yeah. my numbers there. So I had a clearly defined role and project that was me, and that was mine, and that's how I measured success. And one of the challenges of this new position is that I don't have that anymore. Yeah. I have projects and stuff that fall under my umbrella, but they're other people's. And so it's learning how to measure your success through the success of others, um, and ensuring that they have what they need to be successful but it is a complete mind switch. Um, it's, it's something that, quite honestly, has been extremely challenging um, for me in, in terms of like my performance reviews and professional discussions I've had about my position with my boss. That's something that has come up a lot is, how do I know if I'm doing what I need to be doing? Right. How am I measuring that now that I don't have things that, that fall solely on me? projects that I've had a greater hand in than others, like the website with Create Your Story. Mm-hmm. But even those, you know, I give my idea, I give my opinion, I give my vision, but someone else is producing right. that. Like, I don't have a product per se like I'm used to having. So um, that is an ongoing thing for me, how, how I measure my success. And, and that has been a challenge. 
but I think, yeah, it's just more onto understanding that the success of the people that you support and mentor is your success as well. And that's where you should strive. Good comment. Yeah. Do you have any other tips beyond what maybe I kind of outlined with the questions? Anything else you'd like to share for the, the good of the class or anything? been very nice um, to have some of my own people come on board. Um, it's been refreshing and I think it's been a big um, injection of morale boost in the office to have you and, and Casey and now Lori and, and just kind of the fresh blood. I think that as a leader, you need that. You know, I guess that's huge for mentality. You need your own leaders. Yeah. Because like, it, it's one thing to work with the team you've got and I, I definitely think that 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 is a satisfying job, but having your own recruits and your people has made it fun. And it's, it's made it not just satisfying, but really enjoyable to see the people that you brought on board because you related with them and you wanted them to be a part of your team come in and succeed. And so I think that that's just kind of a, a heads up. mold it from the beginning. Well, it's, like it's they're on your team, yeah. you know? I think they have a different, um, you have a different opinion of, of them because you have worked with them from the beginning. Right. And they have a different opinion of you. Right. Um, so it's different. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah, that was something even, like, I was a little bit apprehensive about going in with the transition from intern to full-time staff, but I have not felt any kind of mm -hmm. complications there at all, and everybody's been willing, willing to help me with the key points that I wasn't as and I think that you yeah. and I were in similar situations because even though you never, you were, we both had a break before there, before we made that move and mm -hmm. made that transition. You went from being intern here to working at HR here, and even though we still saw you and you still right. worked with us, there was a break yeah. where people were kind of breathing, had a breather, and then you came back on board and you assuming a new role. And for me, Probably mm -hmm. helped in your case too, and yeah. for you to have that break where 
they don't see you at all, so that when you come back, it is a more natural and easier transition to make. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I hope that helps. Yes, definitely.